Welcome to Creating Synergy, where we explore what it takes to transform. We are powered by Synergy IQ. Our mission is to help leaders create world-class businesses where people are safe, valued, inspired, and fulfilled. We can only do this with our amazing community. So thank you for listening. Hey there, Synergizers, and welcome back to another episode of the Creating Synergy podcast. My name is Daniel Franco, and today we have the inspiring Carmen Garcia on the show. Carmen is the CEO and founder of the national award-winning diversity and inclusion certified social enterprise, Community Corporate. Community Corporate operates in the niche space of corporate social responsibility, and they specialize in the recruitment with a social conscience and corporate volunteering. In 2021, Community Corporate won the National Social Enterprise of the Year at the Australian Small Business Champions Award. Fondly known by her peers, Carmen is called the Diversity and Inclusion Warrior, and she's well regarded as a social entrepreneur driven to make profound economic and social impacts through work. She's based in Adelaide, but they've got another office in New South Wales. The social enterprise operates nationally, and they are creating a better world for all. In 2021, Carmen received the Women in Innovation Award for Social Impact and was listed one of the top 50 small business leaders in Australia by Inside Business. She's received so many other amazing awards, including being the inaugural winner of the 40 Under 40 Business Leaders and Entrepreneurs in SA. This episode was really inspiring as we learned some of the amazing work that Carmen and her team at Community Corporate are doing and the profound social impact they have on the community. Her passion to bridge the gap for refugee and migrant people, helping them to secure work in corporate Australia is prevalent throughout this conversation. Statistics such as 6% of refugees who have work after six months of being in Australia and still only 25% have work after being two years in Australia is a damning statistic that Carmen is feverishly trying to fix. She shares some great insights for corporate leaders and how to improve their social impact and diversity and inclusion within their organizations and how we can recognize our unconscious bias and reprogram our brains. We also discuss the challenges of being an entrepreneur and dive into her experiences along the way. I know you're absolutely going to love this chat. And if you'd like to learn more about some of the other amazing leaders that we've had on the Creating Synergy podcast, then be sure to jump onto our website at synergyiq.com.au or check us out at Creating Synergy podcast on all the podcast outlets. Cheers. Welcome back to the Creating a Synergy podcast. My name is Daniel Franco, your host. And today we have the fabulous Carmen Garcia on the show. Thank you for coming on. Thanks so much, Daniel. It's amazing to be here with you. So I just want to rattle off a few little, like, little bits of information about you before we get in into the show. So you're known as the diversity and inclusion warrior. You're the managing director and CEO of your own company, Community Corporate, which specializes in working with the refugee and migrant communities. You're a thought leader in diversity and inclusion, the refugee and migrant employment, regional migration strategy, social impact investment. In 2021, you were uh, the women, to, to women in innovation. You won the Women in Innovation Award for Social Impact. You were listed in the top 50 small business leaders by Inside Business. 
community corporate your business won a social enterprise or national social enterprise of the year award at the Australian Small Business Awards. In 2020, you received the Australia Day Commendation Award for inspiring young SA women. Or SA women. Uh, you were awarded the Governor's Multicultural Award for Individual Outstanding Achievement. Your business, again, Community Corporate, was listed in the Fast Movers Company and you, you are the inaugural winner of the 40 Under 40 State Contribution Award and co-convene co the award now. The first Australian-born Filipino elected as the National President for the Filipino Communities of Council of Australia and on top of this, on a various bunch of boards as well. I mean, kudos. <laughs> it's not a bad little rap there. Not a little oh, bag. thank you. And most important role, mother to mother, Ashley hey, and Cooper. Absolutely. Um, but, you know, Daniel, look, I, I, you'll realise I'm go hard or go home. <laughs> and when you're driven by a social cause, you, you know, you have a lot more stamina to push through and achieve excellence because we're trying to change the narrative here. You, you certainly are and you're doing some wonderful things, obviously, and getting rewarded for it, which is great. So tell us a little bit about your story on how you became the diversity and inclusion warrior. Um, well, honestly, if you, I have, I've looked back now and really reflected and I think my mum, who's a Filipino migrant, played a really strong influencing role in my career and where I am today. Um, like most migrants, she's a practising solicitor in the Philippines and when she came to Australia, her qualifications weren't recognised. So she had to start from scratch and she lost that industry passion. Um, and I really saw through her journey and her experience that how important work was to human dignity and that sense of purpose. Um, I went through school like most people. Um, I went to St Dominic's in North Adelaide and, you know, um, I'm 42 now. So yeah. in, in that era of the 80s, there was still quite a lot of racism and discrimination. And, you know, I found out very quickly that, you know, I was different, but at the same time I was unique. And there were many other people like me that we could connect with through that point of, of difference and diversity. So I really started volunteering and helping other people um, and really trying to give us a voice. Mm -hmm. And I think that was my grandfather as well who, you know, came over and helped raise me because my mum got divorced quite early and so raising me as a single mum, working three jobs. My grandparents came over and my grandfather always said, you know, come and to whom much is given, much is expected. Now, Daniel, to be honest, we lived in housing trust <laughs> and we didn't have anything and I thought, what am I got to give? Like my 30 cent lolly bag? Like what, what, what do you mean? Now I realize I have a voice, I have courage and I'm not afraid to stand up for people. And I bring people on the journey. People will describe me as ambitious, but they'll also say they all get to ride on the coattails. Like I'm ambitious for all of us. Yeah. That's amazing. So tell us a bit about your career and where you started and then how you ended up managing your own business. Like most South Australians, I thought, you know, the only place to go was the state government. Mm -hmm. um, so I did start there um, in, you know, policy type roles um, and very much went straight into communities, um, areas, you know, Department of Human Services or Department of Families and Communities at the time. And then really saw that the best way to help people, in my opinion, is through work and skills and education. So I spent time in TAFE SA managing their policy unit um, and then worked with the, at the time, um, CEO of the department to develop the Skills for All initiative that really helped give people those skills training um, as a pathway to employment. Then uh, I was on a board, actually, the Multicultural Youth SA board as the 
deputy chair at the time and I helped them write a tender mm-hmm. for nearly $4 million. Yeah, wow. And um, they said, joke to me, if we got this tender, would you come on board as the CEO? And I was like, yeah, yeah, sure, no worries. We got the tender. Yeah, wow. uh, so a woman of my word gave government, you know, notice and went and started to lead this not-for-profit helping refugee youth in South Australia um, and not being social work trained. Like I ask questions like an entrepreneur and a business person, mm. why are we doing that? Yeah. That doesn't make sense. We're not actually <laughs> creating independence we're creating dependencies so I guess my fresh perspective in that human services field really enabled MISA to grow Um, and from there that's where my passion particularly for refugees even though I've always worked with my Filipino and multicultural communities um, really came to the forefront Uh, then I got pregnant with my first child Ashley and after having her I thought I'll just be a consultant and I just want to work part-time it'll be quite easy Um, and really help companies who don't speak the same language as, you know, charities or not-for-profits really live their corporate social responsibility mission, help them activate that. Um, And that was in about 2014. 2016, I hired my first staff member um, and now 2022, we've got about 15 staff with an office here in Adelaide and also an office in Western Sydney in Bankstown and we operate everywhere apart from the Northern Territory and Tassie. So I think we solved a problem for corporates that genuinely want to create social impact and not compromise the business and the accountability they have to stakeholders. I feel like this is where we've created a real solution to mm. bridge that gap, make it easy for people to do good and do good business. What is what is the problem that you're solving? Like is it um, is it opening their eyes towards the, their social responsibility? Is it providing them with some really great employees that, you know, are from the migrant background? What is your, what is the problem solving? For community corporate, I think the the wicked problem we're trying to solve is unemployment for refugees. Um, The Australian Family Studies Institute said that 6% of refugees are in work after six months of arrival in Australia. And after two years, it's only 25% of refugees that are working. So to me, not acceptable, definitely need to address that for our refugees. But I think for corporate Australia, you know, we're seeing purpose-driven, really strong values coming through companies as they're going through this agile evolution of the world of work this today, the new way of working. Um, But I think what companies struggle with is how do they bring that to life? How do they go beyond ticking a box in a report to actually making their workforce feel proud about being part of something that's not just um, addressing business but addressing social impact? So it can range from curating corporate volunteering opportunities um, to helping them write and develop their um, diversity and inclusion strategy. Um, But what we do best and what we do most is recruitment with a social conscious. We help companies challenge their conventional practices in how they recruit and hire, looking at attitude, looking at competency assessments so that we tap into this abundance of skills and experience that refugees bring. But again, it's not on their resume. So we need people to look beyond those pages and look at the human. If they want a sustainable, retained, motivated workforce, refugees and migrants are an untapped pool. Untapped pool. The... From the community corporate point of view, do you do the recruitment for the company or do you set their recruitment processes up or, or both? Uh, both, both, probably both. We Most of the companies do recognise that working with diverse groups like refugees and migrants does require expertise. Mm-hmm. So my team is made up of recruiters, trainers, coaches, 
uh, like any recruitment company, you still get the same service you would from a mainstream recruitment company. Mm -hmm. But what we do is really invest in um, in an employer-led model. So we train and we help our refugees understand industry jargon, go through employer-specific policies. So we do a lot of the heavy lifting for employers. So even though there are employers that we have built um, and refined their system to be more inclusive around recruitment, many of our corporate partners prefer to socially procure from mm. us. Yeah, yeah. It is a, those statistics are pretty damning. I mean, 6% in the first six months, 25% in the first two, two years. years. We have, we've, we had a gentleman, and Gabs has come in from, from Brazil. We've got a few people in Brazil in our team, which is great. We had one, one gentleman who came in, uh, procurement expert, right? He's, not, he's no longer with us. He's with, like, in the business, I should say. He is still alive. <laughs> he, he, uh, he's left and gone and pursued his career in the corporate world, which is fantastic. But when he arrived here, he couldn't get a job. He was uh, in, in Brazil where he's from was an expert and seen as a senior almost, you know, director senior level. Um, couldn't get work. He was picking and helping with the fruit flies for, for two years, you know. And I don't know, Gab's husband was the same thing. He's a civil engineer by trade, couldn't get work for many, many years. Luckily now he's just landed a, the job that he, he's in love with, which is great. And I, and I remember I was in an Uber once and there was a, an engineer who uh, was driving me around, couldn't get work. He was from Iran or Iraq or one of, the, one of those countries. Um, and he, so I introduced him to Engineers Australia, and he got some work out of that, which was, which was really great. But with the world as it is, with and it's an untapped, and you say it's an untapped area, and we're a workforce shortage. Like, shouldn't these two worlds just blend so easily right now? Is there is why is there difficulty in, in recruitment in that space? Yeah, well, first of all, this is where a lot of people didn't understand my company name, like community corporate. Do you mean corporate community? Yeah. I'm like, no, community working with, you yeah. know, the corporate sector. And absolutely there was that that need for brokerage and, and there still is. I think what we've found is that there are two kinds of, you know, corporate employers. One you know, there is a skill shortage. People, it's an employee's market. People are really struggling to fill, fill role, but they still expect a, a refugee or migrant to, you know, apply online and they want to talk to references in, you know, Syria yeah. where that particular establishment no longer exists because it's been bombed. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, the expectation of, oh, yes, we'll look at a refugee as long as they meet all of these expectations and comply with everything else, um, whereas we have some amazing employers that work with us to still achieve that merit base and look at the key requirements they need, but we do it differently and unconventionally. So they might have, um, you know, a, a work trial or they might come in and do a scenario. If it's in IT, they might do an online assessment or problem solving so they can see the skills and capability because a lot of refugees and migrants culturally we're not self-promotional. Well, mm. probably, you know, yeah. people might argue that I yeah. am, Daniel, but but yeah. I'm, I'm self-promotional <laughs> for the cause. Yeah. Um, but, you know, majority, it's not culturally appropriate to yeah. say, 
I'm the best person for the job. You should absolutely hire me. So the role that we play is not only working with a refugee migrant to get them job ready, but we deliver cultural confidence training to the employers hosting them. So little things like, you know, what what they say in giving instructions is taken literally mm. when English is your second language, mm. right? So, you know, in, in a retail environment, we've had an example where the manager says, oh, Daniel, do you want to take these bananas? We're going to throw them out. Run quick, put them in your locker. And then they run and then they get in trouble yeah. for running because they're interpreting the word run. Mm. So it's things like that and giving employers confidence that then the motivation of refugees and migrants, this is plan B. They've mm. chosen or some ref- migrants choose to come to Australia. They want to make it work. They want this to be their home. Refugees don't choose where they go, where they're allocated from UNHCR, but they're here now and there's no way home. Mm. So they want to make the most of it. And those motivators are, are very different and it's helping employers understand how to harness that um, and really get that loyalty and retention and that co-investment is so important. So I definitely think um, there is a need for what we do, but there is also a level of commitment. So when we talk about partnership, we actually mean co design, transparency, you know, accountability. What do they want? Telling us up front, not changing the rules as we go, which, you know, unfortunately we've had some of those experiences with employers that they keep changing the goalposts of what they're looking for. Brilliant. Brilliant. So I want to just touch on the vision of Community Corporate, which is to lead change, promote diversity inclusion, advancing the social, economic and cultural pro- prosperity of the nation, which is an amazing vision. I want to ask if Australia was on a sliding scale of 1 to 100, all right, 1 being the worst, 100 being the best, where do you think we currently sit on that scale of, of, of being able to be in the ideal state that you're looking to get to? Oh, that's such a tough question. <laughs> one to a hundred is such a big scale too. Okay, let's go one to ten. Um, <laughs> oh, there's there's so many factors. I think um, one of the the biggest things that concerns me is I we used to be real social innovators, mm. particularly here in South Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people have lost that risk, and you know, as Adelaideans, we often wait to see what the East Coast are doing mm. before we jump in. So that's really concerning to me. I do believe unconscious bias still exists Mm. um, and it is unconscious. Like this is what people, you know, they say, but we're not racist. And Mm. I think Australians, when they look at the US, they go, whoa, we're not that bad. Yeah. But unconscious bias, you know, it's it really is subliminal. Like, you know, I don't know if you heard when um, YouTube were designing their videos for the iPhone, all of the architects were right-handed. So subconsciously they didn't optimise it for left-hand users. So when you turned the phone to the left, everything was upside down. That's unconscious bias, right? It's how we're programmed. So do we need to have more honest conversations about diversity and racism and discrimination, particularly in the workplace? Absolutely. Have we moved the needle? I do think so. So I'm going to give Australia a 6.5. Out of 10. Out of 10. Not, no, no, no. Not out of 100. Yeah. <laughs> 6.5 out of 10. Okay, so we're moving. And what's ideal state? 10 out of 10? Or like, is that even achievable? 
10 out of 10? I mean, oh, a, I, I believe we can do 11. Yeah. Like I like oh, to wow. exceed. I, I do think there are so many champions um, out there in businesses at all levels in government that are trying to influence the conversation. So this opportunity with you, Daniel, to have this conversation, to reach corporate leaders and influencers to not be afraid to have this conversation and ask questions. People like me and my team are here to give frank and fearless advice. Mm. So many employers get scared to say, can you tell me a little bit about Ramadan? Like yeah. what does that mean? Absolutely. Like mm. don't be afraid to ask. There's so many things I still don't know and I guess that's one of the biggest lessons I've learned is asking for help is actually really courageous mm. and companies, we're here to help. Yeah. So what is a typical – no, actually, I'll get to this question. I want to jump on the unconscious bias piece that you said because we could unpack that for an hour or two. Yeah. Which we're not going to. Um, but right now, Australia is a fairly multicultural society. I mean, we brand ourselves like, yeah, we're a multicultural society and, and yet we see that unconscious bias time and time again. I would be lying if we if we all I don't believe I, or I believe we've all seen when a recruitment you know let's say it's a generic role an admin role right quite a generic role you get two hundred um, applicants put in their resume I could guarantee we've all seen this that based on the name on that resume you either make it to the next round or not just that's the first cut right and is there and it, it, it's not because these people are, like you said, they're not necessarily racist. It's just through learned experience that these resumes might not have all the criteria. But then in, that, in saying that, that's exactly what you do, right? You help the uh, applicants get their right information in the way that's sort of culturally fit for Australia and all the above. So there's this just big mess in between there. Can you explain how do we move out of that first? Yeah, 100%. I think, yeah, there's a lot of myths that we need to bust and that's normally, you know, the first 15 minutes of the conversation yeah. and the the name, the exotic name on a resume, the assumption or the bias that goes with that is, oh, they won't be able to speak English, mm. right? Um, and we look at our Syrian refugees, for example, or the Afghan evacuees that have recently arrived, a lot of their English is really good mm. and they have been working with the Australian Defence Force. So they, they have great English. So that's the first they can't speak English, mm. you know, myth and that moves them to the pile. The other thing being they've got overseas qualifications. They're not going to have local networks. Well, neither do your grads. Mm. So that's the other concern. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of businesses think that if you're a refugee or a migrant, you have to sponsor them and there's a whole visa process and it costs companies money. Um, as a refugee or a humanitarian migrant visa, when you arrive in Australia and your foot touches our soil, you're a permanent resident. You get access to all the same entitlements as other Australians. So it doesn't cost employers anything in financially to hire a refugee or a migrant. Um, that's one of the, the biggest things I think that's going wrong. And so, yes, our model very much challenges that. We do a lot of the screening. That's where we would get a lot of the um, requisites and information and assessments that employers want. We would facilitate that and do it differently. So the first real interaction that an employer has with our candidate is face-to-face -face like this, meet and greet, tell me about you. 
We've built a profile on them already to say, this is Carmen. She's so energetic and outgoing. She's clearly passionate to get back into the health industry. She was a nurse back in the Philippines, et cetera, et cetera. So we build that confident story or based on what we know, having worked with them for, you know, over a period of time so that we start the employer's experience in a really positive light and dispel some of those, those myths. I think the corporate confidence training has been really important as well. Um, That's often where we start and having those discovery sessions with employers or teams that want to do more around diversity inclusion but they don't know where to start. And eight out of ten sessions where we talk about unconscious bias and really challenge these things in in the workplace – most people end up saying we should just hire a refugee and give it a go and that's the best way to be inclusive. So it is a natural conversation but the best results start with really unpacking what that looks like. So my point is, you know, with nearly 50% of us in Australia having some connection to the migration experience, either themselves or their families, we sometimes forget what it was like or what our parents went through. And I think that's part of this conversation of, you know, how hard was it for migrants to resettle and adjust to Australia? Imagine if your home is bombed, you're forced to flee, carry whatever you can on your back, can't speak the language, have no friends or connections, and then you have to start again. It's crisis, right? And so being an opportunist... In COVID, we all felt crisis. No one saw it coming. No one asked for it. And it's infected people in different ways. But we've had to find a way to cope. And we've seen so much resilience come through the community. That is the plight of refugees. And if we actually stop and think about no one chooses crisis and no one chooses to be a refugee, and we know how hard it was for migrants, let alone refugees, I really feel we can address that unconscious bias in an open conversation where people aren't scared to say, actually, yes, every time I get into an Uber and they come from a different country, I say, and where are you from? Mm. Do you ask someone who's Caucasian? Mm. Probably not. Agreed. I think that is is a a conversation that I've had previously on and I've mentioned this before and it was was a, a really big learning lesson in my life where I was having a chat with a with a gentleman it was a business chat and he um i asked him where he was from right typical adelaide question right and it, 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 this was a few years back and he said to me he goes oh, i'm from australia and i said and he like he spoke brilliant english and all the above and, and i said no no like your family your heritage where, where you're from and he's like oh well we're from the Caribbean. But he goes, but I'd, I'd like to point you out on that. He goes, if I was a white male Australian, would you have asked that question? And I went, probably not. Like probably not. <laughs> Actually, oh, no, I wouldn't have. I might have asked what school you went to. But that was the that was the um, a really big learning lesson for me was that the the judgment or if that's the right word, in that initial phase. For me, it came from a place of, look, I'm Italian, you're from the Caribbean, I like cricket, I knew, I could tell by the, you know, some just, and I've seen your background, I knew a little about this person as well. So all that, I was looking for common ground, right? But it really helped me understand to really never, um, well, to really concentrate on, on who the person is as opposed to where they're from and what they've done. And I think that is probably the, 
what you do in, in your business every single day. And it's irrelevant of where they come from. It's the skill set that they can bring for your workplace, right? A hundred percent. And yeah, and for visible minorities, it's it's harder because you can't, you know, take off your skin, mm, you know, like true. that. It, it's so if you stand out. But, you know, so many, um, you know, people, particularly from the Africas, they're born here now. Yeah, Their families have, you know, yeah. settled 10, 20 years ago and they get asked the questions. And, and you know, the young people we talk to, they, they don't understand why. Mm. What? What do you mean? I'm Australian, mm. you know, and they've got the Australian yeah, accent, yeah. you know. Um, but I think, yeah, and it is that conversation because we need to get comfortable mm. that you know diversity and the collective difference that we have in Australia is our strength. Mm. We were built on migration. Migration was a big part of Australia's history, and I strongly believe in all my bones, migration is going to be part of our future if we stop, remember, and embrace it. Yeah. Well, I think what we're really feeling right now if you talk about being part of our future is if you look, go back to the workforce shortage piece i mean we work in work with corporate companies in workforce planning and through their change and organizational change and all the above and we see this time and time again and you, you can read it in the papers the great resignation all this sort of stuff that's going on in regards to the workforce migration is going to be huge we're relying on that you have that we were cut off at the knees in 2020 and, and getting some really talented people over here um but yeah, when when we talk about the the refugees now, I think there is a skill set there that we're not we're not tapping into. What I want to ask is, with the when you go through the sort of the screening process, if that's what you call mm-hmm. it, at the, at the front where you meet the people and you go and you ask questions and, and and whatnot, if they're not at the level in which you believe they could be hired from successfully. Um, whether their English is bad or their communication skills or whatever it might be, do you help and with them as well, or do you pass them on, or do you gr- help them grow into a position, or like what's the process there? Yeah, um, in in the beginning, obviously being really small, we didn't have that capability. Now we've got a team that speaks nearly twelve languages. Yeah. We have an employment social worker, employment specific social worker, to work with people one on one and coach them through it. We're trying to convince the government to give us. Um, a tender where we can create that skills lab because, mm. again, the motivation, the attitude and the, the transferability of skills is there. But some of the basic potential digital literacy because the divide is quite strong in terms of currency of skills um, and also that confident English and literacy does need a bit of work. So we're really trying to create a, a circular process that anyone that comes to us proactively and they want to find a job and kickstart their career in Australia, we don't want to let them go because we know that's what the employer wants. Mm. And so we're trying to build that safety net now around how we can continue to work with them. So we've started to do a lot of things. But, yeah, you know, the biggest thing like most small businesses, Daniel, it's CapEx. Mm. Um, we're yeah. at, we've kind of hit the ceiling where we are not really promoting to employers. People find us. They mm. know our results are 96% of our participants convert into a job with yeah. our employers and retention rates are at over 90% for refugees after 12 months. That's above the national average and for many of our corporate partners, it's above their mainstream retention. So, you know, people find us yeah. to solve that problem and, and to work with them but, yeah, when you've got the right attitude and it's just about skills, this is where we need to invest. And so, yeah, we're, we're, that's what we're trying to do. Well, um, well you're going to get busier after this podcast. <laughs> I think, you know, there's a few of our listeners, no doubt, who will uh, 
be looking you up and getting your details. We'll share your details at the end, even though if you can't take on much more work, we'll figure there's always a way. Yeah, <laughs> there's, there's always a way. There's a will, there's a way. Um, so the, I think, how do you track success when you then play? You said like 96%, right? How do you, how, how do you man, like work through that? You go, this is, you know, this is what we're seeing and these are the trends that we're seeing once we place someone into a, into a workforce. Yeah, um, I joke because I say we we use a system called seventy seven spreadsheets, and most people go, "Oh, I've never never heard <laughs> of that." And I'm like, I literally use seventy seven <laughs> spreadsheets. My poor team. So no, but we we're at like I said, we're at the scale point where we we really need that CRM. We yeah. need to kind of build you know some something that we can kind of plug in and add value to. So if there's anyone out there that's got a great system, yes, absolutely, we oh, we, we talk, need that. We can talk. We more. need that help, um, but it's very <laughs> manual. We So we don't just kind of drop and go our candidates, you know, once they're hired, bang, we've got a contract ticker box. Mm. That's not us. Yeah. We continue to work with both the employer and our candidate for 12 months. So that's yeah. why that retention is so high. It scaffolds down, obviously. Mm. But sometimes it's things like non-vocational issues. So a woman going into the workplace, um, you know, and it's a part-time role, but she's amazing and mm. the employer wants her to be full-time. Oh, she has to organise childcare. So we would help with that. And we've yeah. got those kind of social work team that would, would kind of do that. But, um, you know, we track it because our candidates are grateful and they see the attribution and intervention of our model and they want to come and tell us. We've got this amazing story. Woolworths Group has was been the pioneer and the first real amazing corporate who just happens to be, you know, the Australia's largest yeah. private company, yeah. jump on board and partner with us and, we're so grateful because they really helped us flesh out a, a white label model that's been rolled out yeah. to over 26 employers. Um, and so with Woolworths, the Syrian refugee, single mum, accounting background, and she tried to go into other programs um, through different providers and it didn't lead anywhere. So she was a bit reluctant to go into a Woolworths customer service role because she saw herself as a professional. She was in her, you know, mid-40s. And um, so anyway, she decided to do it and we said, look, we're not going to just drop you there. If you can't find the job in Woolworths, the job doesn't exist in Australia mm. with 200,000 staff. Yeah, so there are accountants, there's finance teams. Let's have a long-term plan. So she was on board with that. She really got confident in her English and practiced working at customer service level in the in the stores. Um, she went and upskilled and did an Australian TAFE course just to bridge to have overseas and TAFE. Yeah. Um, and then we went to Woolworths and Woolworths said, let's put her into a secondment in the accounts team even through COVID. So she was able to do that. She picked up some local experience. Now we got her a job in one of the big four yeah, okay. um, in the ATO area. Um, she still hasn't given up her job at Woolies because she loves it and yeah. the weekend and the team and the friends that she's made, that job has been so important to her settlement in Australia. Um, and so that loyalty for Woolworths is, is there. And so there are great stories like that and we, we are committed to helping them achieve their aspiration and we know that, you know, um, the importance of starting your your job and getting that experience helps you take that next step. Mm. So we are really doing a lot of work now. You mentioned Engineering Australia. 
we're doing some work with them about how we can support refugees in their credentialing and support yeah. that assessment because they don't go through general yeah. skills, yeah. migration skills. Um, we're working with the IT sector with all the digital skill shortages um, and ServiceNow, who's one of um, the tent coalition partners for refugees, have done amazing programs in the UK where they're helping refugees with those overseas calls upskill with relevance and coding and understanding JavaScript and all that stuff that I don't really understand, <laughs> Daniel. Um, and so they're partnering with us to really help refugees in Australia as well. So there's so much appetite to help. People just don't know how. And I guess that's where we come in to harness, connect and, and make the most for everybody. Yes. Thank you for sharing that story. It's an amazing story. And again, kudos to the journey and I hope all the best for that lovely lady that you were, you were referring to. I want to ask in regards to the other aspects like where unconscious bias might play and that's people with disability, um, you know, women returning to work is probably another area, um, youth that are at risk. These are other are are areas that you work with as well. Yeah, absolutely. So refugees are my passion and my mm -hmm. priority and, and they always will be. But we do have, a, you know, a responsibility to the greater good and social impact. And through COVID, when so many were impacted by the jobs crisis, we were approached by employers to look at um, women returning to work, you know, youth at risk and, in, and in the inclusion of, you know, migrants as well. Um, and people with disability, you know, are naturally within that cohort. So we haven't really gone out and specialised. We're not holding up a flag to say we're experts in working with people with disabilities, mm -hmm. but we have seen that, you know, it sits at about 36% of our participants across cohorts do self-identify as having um, living with a disability. Um, so one of the, I guess, the things for us in looking at the transferability, we, every cohort we work with is, is a different set of challenges and barriers we're overcoming. But one of the key commonalities is, you know, a woman returning to work, again, nothing on the CV because she's been a life manager, aka yeah. mum, for, yeah. for the last couple of years. You know, a young person's never worked because they've just finished school, you know, and then the migrant and the refugee new to the country. So the commonality of nothing on their resume. So our whole theory is we want employers to look beyond the pages of a resume, look at the person, assess them on the job in those skills yeah. and competencies. So it's worked really, really well. Um, we've had a lot of employers want to embrace, um, particularly women returning to work. Mm. We're doing some exciting stuff here in Adelaide and I've met some of these women and, oh, I'd hire them. Like yeah. I can't believe mm. that they're out of work for Talk you know, about untapped resources. Oh, yeah, <laughs> over twelve months. Exactly. Yeah. And young people. I hired a young person um just before Christmas and again on paper. But oh, she's a rock star and mm. I love her. And I want to invest in her mm. so much because she's got the passion and the drive and she's teachable. Mm. Like, you know, and she she's interested to learn and curious. And I think, you know, sometimes we get scared, you know, I don't know, my generation X's where we're pretty good, but other generations do get scared with the millennials. I think it's really about knowing how to harness them and and you know, if you give them that job satisfaction and make them proud about what you do, then they're going to give you their all. That's yeah. what we found anyway. So my team, Daniel, just for your information, is so diverse in terms of 84% are actually from refugee or migrant background. It's nearly about 86% are female and 24% of my team are under 25. So when you think women, migrant, refugee and youth, like we walk the walk. Yeah, well done. That's amazing. Mm. I'd say we'd be pretty close to the same. I think Gab's like we've got 
probably 80 plus percent mm. female and I think everyone's over from overseas. I'm, I'm probably one of the very few who are like actually South Australian, born and bred in, in South Australia. The majority of our team is from all around the world. Um, the question I want to ask, uh, and before, because I want to jump into some of your own personal story and journey and entrepreneurship, and I love that sort of piece of the pie as well. But one last question on the cor- um, corporate social responsibility. What can corporates and leaders in the corporate world do? Like what's the low-hanging fruit that they can go, actually, I just listened to this podcast with Carmen Garcia and I want to start doing something for our business. Like what, what would that – what's the first tick box if you could say that or yep. that moving in the right direction? We call them morning teams, so morning T plus M, M standing for morning tea with meaning. Having a themed morning tea for the team to come together and talk about diversity or refugees or inclusion and to have that as the discussion point, you know, that's where we can help if you want someone, a refugee to come in and share their story or tap into many social enterprises out there that do cultural food or cultural, you know, morning tea cakes. Mm-hmm. Just it's not, you know, we do it anyway. And actually, if you ask the team, bring something from where you're from, mm. you'll probably get, you know, an abundance yeah. of, you know, diverse cultural food. But having the dedicated, um, you know, deliberate conversation to say, let's have a morning tea and talk about multiculturalism or cultural diversity. Um, March is actually Harmony Month, Multicultural Month. So anyone wanting to start and tick that box, I would love to see people, you know, having those multicultural morning teas and just having a conversation Mm. and then, you know, linked tie us in on LinkedIn. We want to see the post. I'd love to just see that. That would be amazing. Let's create a hashtag now. What should should we call it? Hashtag. I don't know. I'm not good with that stuff, (laughs) Jamie. Hashtag Harmony Day. That's probably what it is going to be anyway, isn't it really? Yeah. Oh, he's not Harmony Day, Harmony Month. Was it, was it a month that's dedicated, multicultural month? Is there's that? a Harmony Day and there's uh-huh. a Harmony Week yeah, and, Harmony you know, Day. it kind of All just keeps above. expanding. All of the but above. Maybe it's even just, you know, we want to see corporate champions. Absolutely. That's really what we want to see. Yeah. Um, oh, that's a really good idea. Gab brings in some cake and stuff from my, and that's made at the local Brazilian bakery or something like that and... We all just um, get fat. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the one of we'll the stay fat, I should say. <laughs> one of the services that we also offer in that soft entry is what we call a taste of culture, mm. and it is like a cure, facilitated team building. So we touch on the unconscious bias, but it's really fun. We get them to do activities, and we give them instructions in like Arabic or something, where yeah. they you know, and we bring in the food, and we you know hear the stories from refugees. So it's really a team building exercise, but real that cultural immersion. Yeah. So we can facilitate that, but obviously that costs money. Having a morning tea and having a chat costs nothing, mm. and you'll find natural influences in the team that say, "I really want to do this. I want to lead it." Mm. And that's where the boss can say, "Why don't you give Carmen a call?" Yeah, that's brilliant. <laughs> Actually, I did. We did uh, in my previous empl- before you know coming out and starting Synergy IQ. I remember we did a it was a multicultural lunch where everyone bought in a lunch of something that was from their from their country, and it, this was within government. And at the the amount that we got in, and I was like, "This is like some amazing food that I've never tasted before." And it just opened my eyes to all the different types of um, 
uh, cuisines that were out there. So now I'm like obsessed with half of them as well. So Can I tell a, you a really quick funny story? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, this is what's so devastating about all the rules in schools now about food sharing and mm. allergies and things like that. But, you know, when I was at primary school, um, like I said, my grandparents played a big part in raising me because mum had to do the four jobs. Yeah. Um, and I was packed lunch and in those days you put your lunch in a crate and everyone pulled out their Vegemite and cheese sandwiches and I had rice and stinky fish, <laughs> of which to me was normal. And I just remember, you know, all these eyes looking at me and I, I was, went home and I cried. I'm like, oh, my gosh, yeah. why are you giving me stinky fish? And so my grandma said, no, no, they just don't know about Filipino culture. So we went to the Asian grocery. We cooked noodles, fried rice, you know, spring rolls, and we could bring it to the school. And, you know, and um, the teacher, like, loved it and got me to stand up in front of the class. This is primary school, talk about the Philippines and our culture. And from that, the school actually created a multicultural recipe book. Yeah, wow. So those things we can't do anymore in schools, unfortunately, but we can do it in the workplace. It's a shame, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, peanuts. Yeah. Ruin everything. Yeah. <laughs> nude food, you know, nude food for yeah. busy mums. Yeah, that's you know, right. We don't have time for nude food. I know. <laughs> Who come up with that idea? It's crazy. I have no idea. Oh, well, yeah, I use plastic. Yeah. No, but the recycle one, you reuse the, the container. I just there. take it yeah. out of the packaging. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I do cut up the carrots and the guacamole no, no. dip and things no, no. like that. We don't, we're yep. not going to go into the, the deficits there. <laughs> uh, let's circle back. So first and foremost, before we do move on, you know, kudos for everything that you guys are doing. It's amazing in the community, what you're doing with community corporate and everything you've achieved today and what you are going to be doing for the future. Um, but I do really want to circle back because you you have started your own business and you've built a very successful one. So I would I'd be remiss of me to not pick your brain on that. And I really know to the core how bloody difficult it is uh, to start your own business and and take that pun. And uh, you're, you're, I've kind of got a similar journey. You start out as a consultant and you kind of just build on it and you grow from there. Tell us about your journey and the ups and downs of a, and your life as an entrepreneur. I mean, when you walked in this morning and I said, morning, Carmen, how are you? And bloody tired was the words that yeah. came out of your mouth. Like this is something that we live and breathe and work-life balance can, you know, get entwined uh, where it's more <laughs> it's more work than life. Uh, can, can you talk to us about your, your journey as an entrepreneur? Yeah, um, you know, it's funny. I never called myself an entrepreneur until someone else did. Yeah. I just called myself a hardworking yeah. chick. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, for me it really is about solving that problem. Like I'm really passionate. I, I say it's not what I do, it's who I am. Mm. I believe it with every inch of my body and I believe that, you know, we need champions to have those, you know, courageous converse, conversations and take risk. Um, I think for me, you know, it was – the appetite of employers. I had positioned my consultancy as more that advisory and mm. architect and building things for them to do um, and connecting them with charities and not-for-profits and to, to actually implement and deliver. That didn't work because, unfortunately, community and, and charity not-for-profits still don't understand or speak, you know, business language. Mm. And I guess that's where I had a really unique opportunity that I could interpret and give them what them they need, not compromising my social values in any way. It's just articulation and alignment. So I didn't set out to do what we do. And like I said, people have come to us. I do feel very fortunate that when we focused on results and quality and, you know, giving every 
piece of our puzzle what they need. So the employer gets what they want in a, you know, motivated, retained staff member. A refugee has someone who's given them a safety net and a job and opened the door to a future. And my team feel like, you know, they can live purpose and know that they contribute so much. The best feedback for me is when someone says, oh, I was on the plane and they asked me what I did and I'm telling them and, gee, I feel proud about what we do at Community Corporate. Like creating that from scratch is so, you know, amazing. That's the biggest highlight for me. But definitely so many mistakes along the way. I wish someone had told me to outsource my weaknesses a hell of a lot earlier, a.k.a. I love my accountant. Um, (laughs) Agree. (laughs) And, you know, just things like that. Like you do assume you have to do it all. I I know where my talent lies now confidently, but in the beginning I didn't and I tried to do everything. I didn't, you know, trust people would really have my best interest or my mission at heart. So that was Mm. really hard. Um, That's why I say, you know, the biggest lesson I've learned is really, you know, asking for help is Mm. one of the most courageous things we can do, Mm. both as a new mum, you know, um, but as an entrepreneur. Like you don't know what you don't know and surrounding yourself by people that have walked before you does give you confidence. There's a way through it. Mm. I feel like we're in the tunnel. I can see the light. There's still a few spiders and stuff on the floor that I'm sure are going to bite me on the way, but I can see it and that's we're about halfway through the tunnel, I think. Brilliant. Because you're the sole director. Is there any other partner? Yeah. Yeah. even then, you've not even got anyone to bounce some ideas off and feedback. It's you've gone through it. It's a tough, I've got tough some slot. good mentors and yeah, coaches. And Do you rely on your mentorship? Yeah, you people that give me like real frank and fearless. Brilliant. You're full of shit, Carmen. I think that's advice. Well, it's, it's so needed. Yeah, I think since I started getting like business coaching and mentored and everything like that, the business has just gone. From strength to strength, I think it because you're learning off someone else's experiences. I mean, why mm. wouldn't you want to go down that avenue? I, I do find that having a business partner there to bounce some ideas off is, is is beneficial. So putting myself in the shoes of, oh my god, this always relies on me, uh, especially when you are trying to raise a family in in the same token, can be quite a tough situation. So I, I'm really lucky, you know, my wing woman. Um, Heck, who's our National Manager for yeah. Employment Partnerships. We worked together when I mentioned I was the CEO of yeah. MISA um, and she happened to marry someone and move to Sydney yeah. and so it kind of all worked out. Yeah, having having her and, you know, really I, I feel like she's in this with me yeah, and, and everyone in the team actually, oh, yeah. to be honest, Daniel. We all want the same thing. We're rowing in the right direction, which yeah. is exciting. It's you touched on purpose, and you can clearly hear your purpose within every word that you speak. Do you think that is the the absolute most fundamental thing when starting your own business? Yeah, the determination to solve a problem. Like mm. something, like I said, to me, the unemployment rate is just not acceptable. Mm. Like why by default because they're a refugee you know so I yeah I mean I I get up at 4am to do some work before I have to get the kids up and take them to school and people are like seriously and the staff are all like yeah we get emails at 4am but I want to because there's opportunities and and employers are coming and they're wanting questions and I want to get back and open as many doors as I can so that is the purpose that's what gets me out of bed at 4am knowing that I'm going to change a life with what we do and I feel so proud about that. Yeah, not enough hours in a day. No, no. <laughs> Did you have any business experience before starting your own? Like, out, or was it just that you started the consulting and then moved into that? 
Um, yeah, my mum um, ended up getting requalified in yeah. Australia and set up her own yeah. law firm. Okay, so yeah. I helped her in yeah. that and I did some consultancy for private sector where you would argue I actually kind of was in there. But yeah. no, no <laughs> formal training, just problem solver. So what what advice would you give to a young up-and-comer who's looking – it doesn't have to be young – someone who's looking to start their own business, um, what advice would you give to them right now? Is Outsource your weaknesses? Is that the- Well, outsource your weaknesses but solve a problem that matters to you. Like yeah. I think a lot of people are like, oh, fintech, widgets, blah, blah, yeah. blah, because that's the thing. Yeah. But if you don't care about that, you're not going to really I, – yeah. I think the chances of succeeding is is – uh, lower. Yeah. Whereas if there's something that really bothers you, whether it's on a social or a practical level, that you think, I wish we had this, go and solve that problem yeah. because you'll be a lot more committed. And yeah, bring people on the journey. Like I think in Adelaide, we're so fortunate. We actually want to see each other succeed. That's probably a bit different to, to the other states. Mm. Like we're proud when other South Australians get the accolades and, mm. you know, they represent us all when we see South Australia's name in light. So I do feel we have a, a bit more of a supportive ecosystem here um, that we need to tap into. Yeah, it's um, it's it's funny though. The It seems like a lot of these sort of startup programs and entrepreneurial programs and are always aimed at the tech world, right? And you say when you want to solve a problem that is that you're connected to will help you be more successful – I feel like there's a part of that which will help you feel more fulfilled as mm-hmm. well. It's not just, just from a success point of view but doing something in which you're connected to creates so much more enjoyment. It doesn't become work. It becomes this is this is what I love doing. Um, whereas the tech world is there's opportunity for a cash grab, right? You, you can build something really quickly. It can be valued at a certain point. You sell out and then – and then you're not really ever connected to the purpose that or the potential, unless it is changing lives, right? So there's, yeah. there's that. I think there's a real fine line there, but um, it is something that I I do empower people to go and look at too. Is is really find something that does fulfil you and that you want to get up at four a.m. Yeah. I don't get up at four a.m., but I understand exactly where you're coming from. Well, it's really interesting, Daniel, because you know everyone says we want to support more female founders, mm. and this is where the social entrepreneurial area is something that you know people still can't grasp. I mm. think because, like community corporate, we, we're a proprietary limited company, so we're commercial. That the whole point of a social enterprise is you're commercially viable, mm. and you know F one twenty one for us was about 83% was social procurement and sales. Mm. It wasn't grants and donations and philanthropy. Mm. We are a business. We are just completely driven by a social mission. Majority of the social entrepreneurs are women. When you're trying to solve a problem like unemployment or homelessness or disability, you're going to have a bit more stamina to stick Mm. at it than I'm trying to find a – I don't want to offend anyone, but, you know, I'll just go widget, you know, trying to fix something. There is a difference. But, you know, governments of all persuasions struggle to go, oh, social enterprise, you should talk to social services. You're not really business. We are business. We're just doing business for good. And I think that's a really important conversation that we need the corporate Australia to also be those buyers of social outcomes. When, you know, you purchase your catering, you know you're helping the environment because it's a sustainable um, supplier that they're using and they're creating jobs for young people. Like that's really important that we yeah. need the business community to get on board well, with. Absolutely. There's a saying that I love and it's if you're not willing to sell, then you forfeit the right to make a difference, right? And mm. I think that's what you have to do. If you're out there building a business that is socially responsible, 
the more you can have more impact if you have the ability to get out there and market and build it in a commercially viable product. I think like the non-for-profit absolutely works as well, but it's just yeah, I, I'm with you. I like. I There's like a the role way. to play. Don't absolutely. get me wrong. We're we're very lucky to yeah. have a strong social sector, but. Social enterprise is different. It is about commercial viability and yeah. social impact and we just need a greater light shined on that. In Victoria, um, Queensland, you know, they've had their governments really invest in this and I sit on the social enterprise um, council here in South Australia and we're new and we're trying to raise this awareness where, you know, even social procurement government should be the biggest buyers of mm. social outcomes and they should harness this market um, and really help the entrepreneurs in this space. So, yeah, sorry, I had to do that plug. No, no. Elections coming up, you know. No, absolutely. <laughs> we yeah. want change. I'll we want to see, I'll you know, this off to a few social change. People for you. Uh, <laughs> the, um, the, it's an interesting point because, you know, I, I mentioned there's a lot of tech programs out there. There's a lot of, you know, South Star, all, all these sort of, um, all these sort of like gatherings, if that's the right word, uh, where, tech people go and they learn and entrepreneur and let's get the tech world and lot 14 and all the above. Is there one for social impact here in South Australia? Um, I'd argue no. I think there's some amazing individual programs and like leaders really yeah. trying to bring people together. So there's good work yeah. but in terms of, you know, bricks and mortar government backing, no, I think that's definitely something. Idea, right? Yeah, yeah, we should definitely <laughs> look at, you know, because it is feeding off each other. You know, being an entrepreneur or a small business owner can be a lonely game. You know, yeah. you don't have those people to talk to. So, you know, even though it's hard to it's it's hard to justify why government should fund this, but networking and connecting is actually a really big part of, you know, creating those ideas and solutions. Absolutely. Uh, last time we spoke... We talked about work-life balance and the the, the lack of life <laughs> balance. Um, being an entrepreneur, if you had your time again, given all you've achieved and everything that you've done with your business, would you do it differently, or would you go all in again? I wouldn't do it differently. Mm. Um, not in in the the broadest sense. Um, my children know. You know, I have. With them, it's quality, not quantity is what I say. <laughs> With my staff, it's quality, not quota. Um, you know, so I'm all about quality um, because that's how you manage time. Yeah. But um, I've brought my kids to a lot of the missions um, when I've gone and, and done yeah. aid work in the Philippines at orphanages. And, you know, I really try and help them understand what I do and why I do it. Um, and to create their values, but also get them to understand I have to balance my time. So, um, I think they're very understanding. They also probably milk it and it's like, oh, remember when you couldn't come to that? Can I, can I please have this doll? Yeah. Um, but, yeah. How I, old are I, they now? Ashley's nine and Cooper's uh, six. Yeah, great. Good mm. ages. Mm. The, the question was aimed at the hustle part of the business uh, in, the, in the point that can you be successful from a business point of view, can your business be successful if you are not what's, – what's the yeah, right Yeah, I don't word? believe in part-time yeah. entrepreneurs yeah. if that's yeah, the question. Yeah, I think that's where I'm going. 24-7. Yeah. Uh, I mean I worked through Christmas um, to give mm. the team a rest but there were still things to do so I kind of held the ship and I didn't go on leave till like the 17th of January but everyone's mm. back so they just expected things. Yeah. I, I didn't have the luxury to go – I'm not doing it. Mm -hmm. Like I still have to be responsive. There is 
and accountability when you're an entrepreneur and the owner that people don't understand until they're, you know, walking in your shoes. Um, but that's why you've got to love it. Yeah. Like that otherwise you, you could get really disheartened by what how much people expect of you. Yeah. Um, but, you know, uh, I feel comfortable with that now. Yeah. I like that. You can't be a part-time entrepreneur. I like that. Um, what's one thing that you've learned about yourself running your own business? I'm heaps tougher than I look. <laughs> um, I, you know, I have thick skin, but I also take advice and feedback really well. Yeah. I think, you know, I've, I've always tried to be a high achiever and, you know, I always got positive reassurance. I never got critical feedback like you could do this better. So when people have yeah. the guts to say, Carmen, this is great, but you could improve that, I love it. I'm a sponge. I want critical feedback because I want to be better and create a better way and stay ahead of the curb. So um, I've learned that, yeah, I, I can take it, bring it, yeah. bring it on. I want it. The resilience piece yeah. that you spoke about. The, um, the well, another part of your career which really intrigues me is the top 40 world. You were the inaugural winner. What was it about the business that helped you get over the line as one of the inaugural winners? Like what, what was the most appealing thing to the judges at that time? I think it was about the the risk taking mm. and showing courage in believing and backing something like yeah. quite like we've spoken about. Um, at, and I think you know for me the the Solstice Forty Under Forty Awards gave me the permission to shine. Like when yeah. I won that, I only had about four staff, mm. and you know a lot of the awards community multicultural. But to get a business award, it was like that. I am a businesswoman. Mm. Like they see that in me. That was an accelerator to then grow. So I love these awards. I'm, I still sponsor a social impact award. Mm -hmm. I'm on the judging panel. Nominations yeah. are opening soon. Yeah, so um, yeah, and for me, the the alumni and the asset of bringing together South Australia's amazing under 40 entrepreneurs and leading minds is going to be the key to our future in South Australia. When you look at board composition from government, it's something like 83% yeah. are over the age of you know, 50 or 60. That's not to say that's a bad thing, but 83%, that doesn't reflect our demographic. Yeah. So why are we not encouraging young entrepreneurs that might articulate things a little bit differently to bring these ideas if we want to stay, you know, leaders? Yeah, yeah. I, I, couldn't, uh, I couldn't agree with you more. I think, yeah, the, 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 especially at board level and, um, yeah, yeah, we need some fresh ideas coming yeah. through, much more innovative ideas and diverse ideas is especially part of that. What, what, is the, um, what does the future look like for you? In the, in the business. Super exciting. Yeah. Um, I, I, yeah, I'm so excited about um, our future as a collective, as a community and, and as a country. I, yeah, I do feel COVID presented some unique um, opportunities that has really fast-tracked our, our cause. You know, when, we, when I started in 2014, a lot of people didn't even have a diversity and inclusion manager or department mm. or anything like that. So we've definitely come a long way. Um, but... I mean, I do hope, I, I can't imagine I'm ever not going to be in the business at least to some extent. I mean, we're moving offices. I'm still picking out the, the paint colour and, <laughs> and stuff because, but I'm doing it and it's not because I'm a control freak. Yeah. Like a lot of people think that. I'm doing it because I want my team to be proud. I want things to be perfect for them yeah. because I'm so grateful. I couldn't do it without all the people mm. at Community Corporate. So 
the reason I want to, you know, pick the plants and make it look pretty is because I want them to feel valued. Mm. And I think I do, if I continue that and have the time to still do that and um, grow the business and, and sell the story, then, yeah, I think I'm going to be a very happy woman. That's amazing. Yeah. What What's... Um like as a business owner, I'm starting to think actually there's a, there's an opportunity here. There's you know knock on the door and and uh, see if there's any opportunities within my own business. But if there's that opportunity, what how do, what does the process look like if I was to, or if anyone was to sort of ring community corporate and say, hey, look, we want to start exploring this world. What what does that first part look like? Listening, yeah, really understanding their motivators, what they want to do. I mean, I, I see ourselves as providing solutions, mm. but really understanding their ambition, their appetite, their restraints, or you know anything like that. Getting a sense of them because everything is different. Mm. Every model, or initiative, program. You know, we have a white label framework, mm. but you know, we what IKEA's you know um, program looks like compared to Woolies or mm. you know a, a tech pro. It's different yeah. because it's customized. So really listening and understanding where they're coming from. To be honest, Daniel, it's also where we can field out people that just want bums on seats and don't really care and, you know, we are in a position where we have the luxury not to work with them. So we want genuine partners that, you know, want to have some influence and reap the benefits of investing in social impact. What's some of the most common questions that you get when someone was to reach out in that first instance? Do we have to pay you? Because they assume, you know, social impact, it's it's free. Uh, Yes. Uh, But we have a payment by outcome. So that's where, again, for success for us isn't ticking a box and a bum on a seat. Success for us is those retention rates. We want to see... The, the ambition and the result of the company and a retained employee, refugee, stable work, that's what success looks like. So that's how we get paid. Mm. The better the outcome, the more we get paid. The lower yeah. the outcome, the lo- lower we get paid. And how do you how do you reach to the migrant and refugee market? Is it, do you put a billboard? Like what, how do you get in contact with these people? The, the, the biggest feeder is word of mouth okay. with the hundreds of refugees yeah. that we've helped. They yeah. tell their friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but we do work with the, you know, the Employment Services Network. We work with ethnic communities. Mm. We work with um, local council, everyone really. Mm. Like it's really open. That's where our screening process is quite, you know, rigorous and um, we kind of do all the extra heavy lifting there. But we promote everywhere. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of people, like I said, that that might have applied through an employment provider for a job but on this digital recruitment online they don't get a chance whereas we can then work with them, get them job ready and then they get a job. Mm. So, you know, it's like we're a safety net for some of those um, community members that don't get it on the first go and we build their confidence and resilience. And, and the best thing people say is, I feel like someone believes in me now. And mm. we all need that, right? Mm. We all need someone to say, I believe in you. That's yeah. what those awards meant to me, you know, ha- giving um, a refugee a coach. You go, no, you can do this. You walked five days across a desert. Mm. You can speak to a customer in English. Let's yeah. do this. Like, yeah. you know, really motivating them and giving them the confidence to know we've got their back. If it doesn't work, we'll be here. Yeah. Amazing. Mm. I love it. I am conscious of time. We've passed the hour mark. So what we will do is we'll start jumping into some quick fire questions. These don't generally, they do not generally go quick fire. So we can deep dive and ask and I'll probably ask 10 different other questions out of this. Okay. But um, it, they're really basic so don't uh, don't fret. Um, 
we're big readers here, big learners and big growers uh, here at Synergy Q and Creating Synergy Podcast. What are you reading right now? Um, I was reading Scaling Up. Oh, yeah. um, that's kind of where my my head's at. I have yeah. uh, put that to the side because we've actually I've actually co-authored a book. Oh, well um, with Professor Stuart Jones and Dr. Deanstus oh, on um, social impacting impact investing and Australian perspective that was published by Routledge. When's that? Is that out? Yet? It's out. Oh, yeah, great. I haven't because it's in the UK, so I haven't physically actually received ah, the books, okay. but um, people fresh. know about it and it's out there. Excellent. So, um, so what's that called again? Uh, social impact investing and Australian perspective. And it's really about, you know, again, how we um, looking at some policy and pragmatic solutions to, you know, mainstream social impact investing and look at what those regulatory frameworks need and how we evaluate and have those social outcome metrics so that investors can feel confident in investing in social good and, and buying social outcomes. Mm. Um, so I think it's the way of the future. It's it's really exciting. Great stuff's happening overseas. Um, Australia's definitely had a spotlight on it pre-COVID. Yeah. Um, and with elections coming up, I'd really like to see governments, you know, recasting their eyes to social impact investing and mm. what that means for Australia. I'm going to digress from these quick fire questions. What are what are they doing overseas? That's so interesting. And, and that is, well, they're uh, issuing so, for example, social impact bonds, yeah. um, and it's like a bond, like yeah. any bond. Um, but the government, who is ultimately the beneficiary of welfare savings, for mm. example, will be the one to pay the dividend back to the investor. So you still kind of hit that eight okay. percent, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and when you think about it, you know, the social impact investment isn't affected by interest rates mm. or you know currency and all the mm. kind of other typical things. You can often get a result faster in terms of the maturity. Um, and it helps someone like me. Like, don't get me wrong, we, I, I feel very humbled that I've had investors come to me and say we want a piece of the business. Mm. But they want equity. Mm. Um, and my concern is, you know, everyone starts by saying, because I strongly support social impact in your mm. cause, but, you know, somewhere along the lines it will come down to the bottom line and mm. I don't want to have to be influenced by, you know, shareholders that actually sway the focus of our business. We are who we are because we're so focused on mm. social impact. So a social impact bond through this investing model will enable the government when I deliver all these welfare savings, which, you know, we're up to like 56 million in, you know, Centrelink yeah. alone, give a dividend back to our investor who can upfront me, CapEx, build my super infrastructure and, you know, digital capability so we can scale up. That's kind of how it works. We are just the provider. We deliver the outcome but we're saving government money and investors can help us early on. Yeah. It's cool. That is cool. I'm not a finance person but, but yeah, and I'm probably not the well, best makes, one on the team well, to articulate sense, it. But it's re- logical. Yeah, reward those. They still get a return on investment Absolutely. and, you know, make an impact. Yeah, I love it. So going back to these quick fire questions, <laughs> not so quick fire questions, what is one book that you feel that stands out from the crowd? So what like what have you gifted, what have you recommended more to more people than any other book? Oh, because I, I'm I love, you know, supporting women, women mm-hmm. supporting women. Yep. The Randy Zuckerberg pick three, mm-hmm. I think, you know, when you are a, a businesswoman, you've got a family, you know, there's always this blanket of guilt, mm-hmm. you, you know, that's really good. It talks about you can have it all but just not every day mm-hmm. and it's really managing your own expectations to feel satisfied and accomplished with what you do on that day because, yeah, you can't be everything to everyone. And so I feel it's a real, um, you know, 
it, it gives people a sense of, okay, this is, this is okay, I can mm. do this. And I think a lot of women in business really need that. So Randy Zuckerberg, yep. pick three. Yeah. Not related to Mark. Yeah, yeah. Oh, sister. Oh, sister. Yeah, yeah. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Brilliant. Um, it, 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 oh, oh, no, I'm going to ask 10,000 questions out of that one thing. We'll move back. Do you do audio book? Like do you – how do you manage reading? Because that's one question I get asked a lot. It's like, Dan, you're so busy. How do you read so much? And it's like, well, I, every moment I get up. So I audio book. Do you audio book? Yeah, audio yeah. in the car. I live in um, Milo, Lahandorf, yeah. yeah. so it's a bit of a drive. Yes. Yeah, so um, depends on, And the roadworks haven't helped lately. Yeah. Um, so listening to that in the car when the kids aren't in there because otherwise yeah. they, yeah, they're I not. hate when I get a phone call because you're like – Yeah, you're in the zone. But yeah. I, do like, I do like old school reading, you know, yeah. just sitting there on the balcony and, you know, glass yeah. of wine reading a book and I'm a highlighter I am too and I tag oh, stuff yes. you know represent yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> I, um, I get told off by so many people it's like can I borrow a book yeah yeah go through it and there's like highlight and scribble all over yeah. all over well I hate loaning the books because then I never get it back and I have to highlight everything yeah, again I anymore, yeah yeah but- I just <laughs> often, often I buy them the book. Yeah. I'll be like, yeah, yeah, I'll get you one. I'll yeah. get your copy. Yeah. Don't take my copy. <laughs> no, 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 it's, got my, it's got my deep, dark secrets in there. Yeah. <laughs> no, brilliant. Um, so what's one – actually, no, podcasts. Do you listen to any other? Are there any other recommendations or other than Synergy IQ? Yeah, very, of course, very no, Synergy IQ. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm not really. No, okay, that's good. It's sometimes people say, oh, no, check out this podcast and I'm a big podcast listener as well. Uh What's one lesson that's taking you the longest to learn? Mm. Um, <laughs> what's one lesson taking me the longest to learn? I can't do it all. Mm. Yeah. Yep. Probably I can't do it all. Yeah. And that the help stuff the that help I said. Stuff. Yeah. That it's actually courageous. Seeking yeah. help is actually an act of courage. So here's a question, and this is one that I struggled with. I've made I've made the leap, but early on, and I think every new start or entrepreneur, business owner, whatever, when you first start off goes through this, it's like I just can't afford, I can't afford to outsource this. Mm-hmm. How did you overcome that hurdle? Well, I'm Filipino, Daniel, yeah, so yeah. we believe in bartering. <laughs> um, so really? people would do things for me and I would do things for them. Well done. <laughs> Absolutely. The power of negotiation. If there was three people that you could invite for dinner, who would they be? Well, definitely the two seats would be for my son and daughter, Ashley and Okay, Cooper. so let's assume the family are there. Oh, okay. Oh, well, and, and the other one was going to be Nelson Mandela. Oh, well, but I would love them to also learn from his yep, stories. Too. Your family and your husband will be there. Well, I didn't say husband, I said oh, kids. No, no, I'm kidding, kidding. No, <laughs> no, well, you said three seats. <laughs> okay, so Nelson and two others then. So Nelson, that's amazing. He's. Yeah. Um, yeah. Gee. Um, I don't even know. Simon Sinek's pretty cool at the moment. Like I'd pretty, I'd, I think he would really better motivate my kids <laughs> and teach them about the golden circle. Um, <laughs> and look, I, I really like Randy Zuckerberg. I've seen her live yeah. in Sydney. She's she's just really authentic and has a different perspective, but a really good businesswoman. Mm. There's so there's so many people. Um, I do like you know having people in the room that I can learn from mm. that that would be really hard but to me you know dinner and, and time with family is like if I got to choose that's that's who I'd love to speak to and really you know that's important to me mm. Mm. Well, yeah, I'm interested in the Nelson Mandela and your kids scenario what's one thing that you'd want Nelson to teach your kids in that 
in that one conversation? Like what's one thing you would want them to learn from him? The, the, the sacrifice. Yeah. You know, the, yeah. I, I love my children but kids these days, they, they, they expect so much yeah. um, and I just want them to understand how lucky we are mm. and, you know, and but sacrifice and like us as entrepreneurs, there mm. is sacrifice but, gee, it brings the best rewards. You know, mm. it's worth it. When, it. when it doesn't cost you anything, you don't value it. Mm. And so I really want my children to understand, you know, you know the apartheid and, and the courage that he had mm. to stand up, the, what it cost him, but then the effect that he changed for a world, mm. like, amazing. Yeah. yeah. One of the greats. So what's some of the best advice that you've ever received? Um, don't be a woman in a man's pantsuit. Okay. Yeah. You elaborate? Um, uh, well, in terms of, you know, don't try and be someone that you're not. No. Like, you know, you can see I'm, I'm an extrovert. I'm a, yeah. I'm a double D personal and professional. <laughs> like it doesn't change who I, I'm like this 24 yeah. seven, like people that know me, they go, yes, yeah. yes, she is. But yeah, it's, you know, I think in the early days, like I really tried to conform to what I thought, mm. you know, an entrepreneur or businesswoman needed to look like, needed to wear. Um, but that didn't serve me because it wasn't authentic. And this passion that I have didn't come through. It was very controlled. So my best advice is you've got to own, own yourself and be authentic. Mm. Yeah. Here, here to that. Now, a bit of a strange old question. If you had a time machine, where would you go? Who's going to listen to this? Corporate is probably a really bad. <laughs> but I'm a, I'm a work hard, play hard. So I feel like uh, I would probably want to go back and check out Woodstock because it seemed like so much fun. Um, because, yeah, I'm not really a regret person like in yeah. terms of, you know, every mistake I've made in history – I've learned from. So there's nothing I need to think, go back and retrospectively fix. Mm. Um, but I guess the, you know, there are certain eras. Actually, I'd go to the dinosaur age oh. to get a gift for my son. A uh, dinosaur bone or yeah, something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, something not, like that. Not an actual dinosaur. No, well, well <laughs> yeah, Little. I'd have to move fast. <laughs> like that Andy's, you know, crazy adventures yeah. on ABC. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah right. Um, but, yeah, uh, I think – you know, learning from history in the written word is a lot better than, you know, having experienced some of those times. I th I, I'm scared. That's yeah. quite intimidating. Mm. I can't imagine how life was. Um, you don't ever think about the future? Would you yeah. go forward? I'm in the forward bandwagon. Yeah. Guys. But, you know, I, I feel like we learn from our history. That's true. Um, and, yeah. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about um, the future except for it's exciting and it's unknown and I'm I'm easily adaptable to change, so bring it on. So, you're, yeah, comfortable with yeah. the ambiguity of it all, which is great. If you had one superhero power or if you could choose one superhero power, what would you choose? Read people's minds. Oh, no. <laughs> that's that's scary for me. I yeah, too much going on. I'm struggling with my own mind. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, my, my whole thing is I, I can't um I can't fix a secret. Yeah, that's so, true. Well, you yes. know, so if I know exactly what the problem is, I'm, I'm very confident that I'm resourceful mm. and I'm going to find yeah. a way to solve it. Um, but not knowing and not really understanding um, if I had that superpower to read people's minds, mm. yeah, I'd it would be heaps advantageous. Yeah, <laughs> oh, I know that would be advantageous. I just uh, could you shut it off? Could you turn it off and on? Oh yeah, yeah I'm really good at compartmentalization. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so that have to be a skill. And maybe. I can zone out too if people 
leaves me, yeah. like I'm gone. Is that from the Woodstock? Or that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I thought that's probably not a good example if they're a corporate audience like, hmm, no, no. no. Free-spirited, that's what yeah, we're going to go just with. music. I love music. Yeah, so that, no that's doubt. probably like I love music and the spirituality of that and just and I find music really relaxing like I I am one of these people that you might see kind of singing and dancing in the car because um, I get into it I love it uh, it's a Filipino karaoke no, queen yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Gabs is uh, she, if there's anyone that knows music as well it's Gabriella uh, as well she's uh, always bopping around thank you very much for your time today it's been Absolutely amazing. And thank you for everything that you are doing. You, you are creating impact. There are people in this world that really want to sit out um, and, and really change the world. And I feel like you're on that mission and you're doing that and you're changing people's lives, which is very, very, I think we're all fortunate f- for the work that you're doing. Um, so, yeah, on behalf of everyone, thank you for everything you are doing. Thank you so much for this opportunity and, and platform to share our story. It's been great. Not a worry. And one last question before we head off, where can we find you? Uh, so our website is communitycorporate.com.au, um, but LinkedIn is a great place to, to find me or you can email um, the team at info at communitycorporate.com.au and we'll get back to you because we believe in exemplary customer service. <laughs> Brilliant, as you should. Thanks, guys. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to the podcast all. You can check out the show notes if there was anything of interest to you and find out more about us at synergyiq.com.au. I am going to ask though, if you did like the podcast, it would absolutely mean the world to me if you could subscribe, rate and review. And if you didn't like it, that's all right too. There's no need to do anything. Take care guys, all the best. Thank you once again for joining us here at Creating Synergy. It's been great spending this time with you. Please jump on to the Synergy IQ Facebook and LinkedIn page where the discussion continues after the show. Join our mailing list so you'll know what's happening next at synergyiq.com.au. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. And if you really enjoyed it, please share it with your friends.